book of Hebrews chapter 12, or chapter 11. The Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you go over to verse 6, the Bible says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I'd like to open in prayer tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, in the time we have together, I just pray that you would challenge our hearts. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for their investment in Faith Baptist Bible College. Uh, God, thank you for the help that was given. And God, I pray that you would uh, just give us a great year. I pray that our students would appreciate all the work and all the finances that were given so that we could start school this fall. And Lord, we just are so thankful and humbled by what you've done. God, use this tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, your pastor's right. I am very good friends with Doc. Always been a mentor to me. And I brought him in. He does our in-service training every year. So every year he comes on our campus. We just had him last week. He does it every year and talks to our faculty and staff. And I said, Doc, we're just tired. I said, we're just tired. On top of our campus flooding, a lot of individuals on our campus, their homes flooded. So, I mean, you had all these people dealing with personal flooding on top of campus flooding. And he got up and he made this statement. He said, we often want to change our circumstances but God wants to change our character. And when he said that, everyone on my row wrote that statement down. <laughs> and if you know Doc O, he just has a way of saying things like that that stick with you. And, you know, God often is always doing something, but sometimes it's hard to figure out what he's doing. If you have your Bible, go over to Psalm 77. Psalm 77, verse 19, the Bible says, Your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. This is God's way of saying you can't track me. If you tried to follow someone's footsteps through the water, you can't do it. And you know what you're going to find as you go through the Christian life, you can't track God. Most of us are saying, I'm following God if I knew where we're headed. You know what God says? I'm not always going to show you where you're headed. You just got to trust me. By the way, that's what faith is. Do we understand that tonight? If you can figure it out, do you know that's not faith? Faith is saying, I don't know what's happening. What I can't figure it out. I'm going to believe two things, that he is and he rewards those who diligently seek him. So if that's all I have to know, and I'm going to trust God and take, keep following him. I don't know about you, but when you have a flood like that, and you're, doing every, you're trying so hard, and we're going to grow again this year, back-to-back years of growth will be up about 10% this year. Last year was 18. You're in a building project, you're doing everything you think you can do, and then you get a flood. And you say, Why? God, what are we doing wrong? Why, why did you send this to us? Why do we have to deal with this? I don't know about you, but uh, maybe you're here tonight and you're a young couple who is great with kids. God hasn't given you any of your own yet. Maybe you're a senior saint and your spouse has passed away. Maybe you or your child has a severe health issue. Maybe you took your child to church, sent them to camp, prayed for them diligently, and now as an adult they're walking away from God. Perhaps your marriage is really struggling, even though you're sitting with your spouse in church tonight. Or perhaps you're here by yourself. Maybe as you sit here tonight, your marriage is not what you expected it to be when you said, I do. Perhaps things at work are not working out. Your boss is terrible. He's unethical. Or perhaps he plays favorites, of which you are not. Maybe a friend has stabbed you in the back. What's going on in your world tonight that you can't figure out? What's going on that says, man, this makes no sense? You know, it's in those moments that you have to walk by faith. And yet it's often in those moments that we bail out on God. 
By the way, is there great people in Scripture that struggled with this? Remember Abraham and Sarah? You're going to have a baby. Well, that's exciting for a young couple. We're going to have a baby. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait, decade after decade after decade, and they finally become convinced it must not be with us. Why don't you take my handmaiden? Is that a good plan? Was that God's plan? No, they got frustrated. How about Moses? I mean, look at all that Moses did. And then God says, speak to the rock. I mean, think about this. God came to Moses at one point and said, I'll kill them all and start over with you. And Moses says, no, for your great namesake, don't do that. And then there was a time Moses said, God, can we go back to that again? (laughs) I'd really like to start over. And here he's with the million whiners and complainers, and God says, speak to the rock. And he takes that rod, and he hits the rock, which I give him great credit for. Because if that had been me, I'd have been whacking people with that rod, not the rock. And God says, but you acted out of frustration. I love to hunt. I don't know if you're a hunter or not. But if you love to hunt, you know that you prefer a fresh snowfall. Now, the goal is never to have to track if you're a hunter. We know that. But if you hunt long enough, you're going to be a day when you have to track. And you try and track a blood trail through red and brown leaves, very difficult. But you get a fresh snow and you have a blood trail, it's like a neon light. You know exactly where that animal went. And most of us in our lives say, God, show me where we're going. God, you show me where we're going, I'm with you. And yet you're going to find God often doesn't do that. There's many great stories in Scripture that illustrate this. I'd like you to go to the book of Ruth tonight. Naomi and Elimelech are living in Bethlehem, and there's a famine. And because of that, they need to go to Moab, so they take their family. They have two boys, Malon and Chilion. They move to Moab so they can take care of their family. As they get set up in this new area, things are going well. And by the way, I hate moving. I don't know if I had to move three years ago. I hate moving. Now, you can imagine the turmoil of moving, getting into a new country, getting set up. They get everything going. Everything's kind of rolling well. And all of a sudden, a tragedy strikes. Elimelech dies. But Malon and Chilion meet two really great girls, Orpah and Ruth. And they get married. And things, again, seem to be kind of moving along. And then another tragedy strikes. Both Malon and Chilion die. By the way, if you've ever lost a child, that's one of the greatest pains. It's not normal for a child to die before a parent. And so you can imagine the heartbreak. And in this culture, if you didn't have a man in your family, you had to go home. There was no safety net. And at this same time, the famine has ended in Bethlehem. So Naomi understands, I have to go home. But she's pretty frustrated. We'll pick it up in verse 11. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight, should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughter, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. You know what she's saying? My God's not very good. If my God was good, I'd still have a husband. I'd still have two boys. Since my God's not very good, just go back to your people and go back to your gods. And Orpah says, okay. But Ruth says, no way. Verse 16, but Ruth said, retreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. Forever you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts you and me. 
When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. If two guys go on a long trip, you're going to go on a long fishing trip up to Manitoba. They drive 10 hours and don't talk to each other. Their best of buds are having a good time. Two women go on a long trip and not talk to each other. Someone's mad, all right? And she's mad. And she's like, you're going to go? I'm not talking to you. And so she doesn't talk to her all the way back to Bethlehem. And Bethlehem was a small town then. It's a small town now if you ever get a chance to go to Israel. When I first came to faith, my parents retired to Midland, Michigan to be near grandkids. Ten-hour drive from Ankeny. I was speaking out in that area. I called my mom and dad. I said, hey, can we stay with you? I said, we'd love it. We'd love to see you. I ended up having to leave late, and I got there at 1 in the morning. My parents are in their early 70s. How many of you, they live on 40 acres out in the country. How many of you think that they were in bed? If you've ever had your kids leave home, you know they're not in bed. We got there one in the morning. The lights are all on out there. Mom and dad are standing right in the doorway. Why? Jim and Joan are coming home. Man, I can't wait to see Jim. That's exciting. And that's how this town was. This town was stoked. They're like, hey, Naomi's coming home. They haven't seen her in 10 years. And everyone's pretty fired up. Look what it says in verse 19. Now, when the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. <laughs> Good to see you too, Naomi. <laughs> I mean, what a wet blanket, right? She says in verse 20, when I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Is that true? Isn't there a really nice girl standing next to her? But you know what she's saying? She's not blood. She doesn't count. When I left here, I had a husband and two boys. And they're dead. I went out full and I came home empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? Has she been really clear whose fault this is in her mind? In her mind, there's someone at fault. I don't know about you, Pastor, but no one ever, I was a pastor in Canada for 18 years. No one came in my office mad at the devil. Who's everyone mad at when everything goes wrong? We get mad at God. And that's the same with Naomi. Everything's gone wrong. This isn't how she planned the the ten years to go. And so she's mad at God. And she's saying, hey, God has done this to me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter and I with her, returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. When I got the call, I by the way, my only dream in life was to pastor in Canada. And I had an amazing ministry. I, we, we planted four churches. We saw hundreds of people come to Christ. I never thought God would ask us to leave. And I got a random call out of nowhere one day and said, we'd like you to come candidate at uh, uh, Faith Baptist Bible College. And I had to get my map out to find out where that was. I'd driven through Iowa twice in my lifetime. First of all, I had to find out how to say Des Moines. I thought it was Des Moines. But uh, that's a French-Canadian accent, I guess. It's actually Des Moines. And so I'm learning all these things. I, know, I knew this many people at Faith. I kept saying no, and they finally said, listen, would you preach to college kids? I said, sure, I love college kids. I love to preach. And they said, well, since you're here, why don't you let us interview you? I said, well, on two conditions, that everyone who comes knows I'm not coming and that it's top secret. I don't want my church to ever find out because I'm not planning to leave. And when I got there, I found the need. They've been looking for three years for a president. Everything's going down. He had a heart valve that had to be replaced. We went through the interviews and said, we're not going. And I don't know if he somehow sensed that. We didn't say that out loud, but privately in our hotel room, we were like, man, we love Meadowlands. We're like, why would we leave that? I mean, my, my church was more than twice the size of faith. 
It's like, well, I, I preach to twice as many people every Sunday than I'll have at this, this little college. And again, good friend Doc, oh, Doc said, Jim, would you rather preach in 100 churches or train 100 men? So, well, I guess I'd rather train 100 men. He said, go to faith. <laughs> and, and God I had seven counselors. He was one of them. Four of the seven said, don't go. At the end of the day, all of them switched. All of them said we should go. God, in our minds, made it very clear he wanted us to go to faith. So he said, okay, we're going to go. One of the worst times of my life was the night I told our church. When I went to Canada, we started with 10 people. At that point, we were running between five and 600. And when we, we planted churches, we sent people away. So, And most of those people, Joan and I, it was a whole church of first-generation Christians. Up in Canada, there's nothing up there. There's no other churches. You're not getting people from other people. These are all first-generation Christians. They love Joan and I. We love them. We, never, we became dual citizens. We thought we'd die in Canada. That was our plan. We, we had no intention of ever leaving. And now I announced on a Sunday night, you know what it's like if the pastor says we're going to have a special business meeting. Everyone shows up. What's the special business meeting about? No one saw this coming. I said, and I told Joan, I said, no matter what happens, we're going to stay until the last person leaves. I said, folks, I don't even really know how to tell you this. I said, but God has shown us that he wants us to leave Meadowlands where we'd been for 18 years, and God wants us to go be the president of Faith Baptist Bible College. And we walked out in the foyer, and guys walked by who loved me, and I loved them, and they wouldn't talk to me. Guys were weeping. People were mad at faith. People were mad at us. It was horrible. And honestly, Joan and I had decided we're willing to do whatever God wants us to do. If God signs a letter, if God signed a letter and told me to do something different today, if it was his signature, I'd do it. I really, I really want to follow God like that. And God made it clear he wanted us to go to faith. So then we had to sell our home. We had just bought our dream home two years before this happened, which in Canada primarily was an attached garage. If you put up with Canadian winters, it's nice to have an attached garage. So we had an attached garage. I had a three-car detached shop, five acres, pond. I mean, just gorgeous spot. Well, now we had to sell our home. If you have an attached garage, you never use the front door, right? You just pull in the garage, get out, and go in. So when it came time to sell our home, you have to have the front key so that the realtor can sell it. We didn't know where that key was. So I went and got a doorknob. I'm a handy guy. It's not a big deal. Of course, I go to put the doorknob in, and the holes don't line up. So now to go get my drill, which is packed. And it's, you know, Murphy's Law kicks in, right? It's not in the first box you look at. It was in the very last box. I find the drill, and, of course, the chuck isn't with the drill. You know, the little piece that tightens the bit in. So now i got to go find that. That's a, now I'm starting to get irritated. I'm really laid back, but I'm getting irritated. I don't have this much time. And, and as my irritation is mounting, I finally find the chuck. I get the drill bit. I put it in. I drill the holes, and the first screw I goes in strips. And I got mad. And who do you think I got mad at? God, what in the world? God, I'm willing to leave a place I love. If you've never been to the Canadian Rockies, it's a little prettier than corn, all right? And uh, you know, so it's like, I'm willing to leave a place I love and people that I love and that love me. I'm willing to go to, you know, Des Moines, Iowa. And, and God, could you help me with a stupid doorknob? And he didn't. Another hour went by. We almost didn't need a new doorknob. We almost needed a whole new door. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I was so frustrated. Finally got that thing fixed, and I had to repent and say, God, I'm sorry. 
I didn't have a doctorate at the time, so I started working a doctor. It was an enormous amount of work. Faith wanted me as soon as possible. My church wanted me to wait and help the transition. So we made a deal and said, Faith said, as long as you come a week before school starts, that's okay. But we have a lot of stuff. And you have to be the president on paper June 1st. I've been on our campus three times in my life, and they made me the president June 1st. And they're calling me weekly on all these decisions. If you've ever been to our campus, we have a building called Nettleton. Denny knows what it's like. I was like the Israelites. I got lost in there four times just trying to get out of that building. I was like, I know I got in here. How do I get out? I was circling. I was like, man, I've been by this door before. Where is the exit? And so now we put signage in there. And that's mostly because of me, just so that I can get out of there. I mean, I did not know where the buildings were. I knew nothing. And... And so I said, so all this is going on. I said, Joan, we've got to take a break. We are worn out. We are whipped in every way. And our deacons came to us and said, we want to have a receiving line when you leave. Everyone wants to say goodbye to you. What I didn't know is that they, all the four churches we planted all canceled their service. And they all showed up. They had, did this in the gym. And they did a wonderful goodbye service. But then they had a three-hour receiving line. I don't know about you. Who would you stand in line for three hours to talk to you? I don't, I don't know if anyone, really. And we cried out. I don't know if you've ever cried out where you can't cry anymore. That's what happened that night. Person after person. Hey, this is how you impacted our life. Thank you for what. I mean, it was just unbelievable. We, we got back. We were going to take off early the next morning. People showed up at our house at 7 in the morning to say goodbye a second time. We left late. Got down to Yellowstone at a fifth wheel trailer. We got set up. Ten o'clock that night, my mom calls and says, Jim, where are you? And I said, well, we're in Yellowstone National Park. She said, Jim, you better try and get home. Your younger sister's dying. I got up the next morning at six. We packed up. We took off. Twenty-six hours away from faith. We are on the far side of Yellowstone. I start hauling. We're planning to buy a house. All of a sudden, they want all this stupid paperwork. We're stopping at every library in Montana so that we can fax stuff. And at 1 o'clock that afternoon, my mom calls and says, Jim, Carrie died. Which is just a week and a day ago. And I hauled the chair to the far side of Iowa. I was so tired I couldn't drive anymore. And I pulled off into a rest area. Two semis pulled on either side of us and didn't turn their engines off. So I couldn't sleep. Finally, 3 o'clock in the morning, I just got back up. And faith panicked. Of course, if you're the preacher in the family, who do they want to do the funeral? Yeah, so the family wants me to do my sister's funeral on Monday. This is Thursday now. And so I just get up at 3 and I start driving, and I can still picture this, the heat lightning going across Iowa as I'm driving the last two hours to faith. I got mad again. You will never know how lonely it is when you don't have a church family. I... I had left the church, and I didn't know what church I was going to go to yet in Des Moines. A week earlier. And I honestly, I said, God, really? Like right now is the time you're going to take my sister? This couldn't have happened a week ago when I was surrounded by church people that loved me? Or you couldn't have waited two months till I found a church? And, you know, God, right now, like right now is the time. God, I'm willing to do whatever you want. I'm willing to leave a place I love. I'm leaving the dream that I've had since I was 18 years old. I'm willing to do all of this. What in the world is going on? Why is this happening? I got to faith, and they said, you can't. I said, I have to go. They said, you can't. You have to spend a day here. There's so much paperwork you have to do. So I got there. They had an apartment. I took a shower and I went into work. I ended up staying up about 40 hours straight. 
Got a few hours of sleep, got up the next morning, drove 10 hours to Midland, Michigan. Did my sister's funeral on Monday. Our stuff got held up at the border over a stupid dispute over a quad or ATV. We go for a walk. We we live out in the country. My wife gets poison ivy. We don't have poison ivy in Alberta. Got misdiagnosed. It was on her face. The doctor said it was something else. They went over her entire body. They're like, man, something's wrong. We go back in. He goes, oh, you have a really bad case of poison ivy. We're going to put you on steroids. When her muscles got bigger than mine, I said, no more steroids, honey. That's it. We got to stop. And then we go into having a garden, and she gets all these bites, these chiggers. And we're like, well, what's a chigger look like? Well, you can't see him. <laughs> I'm like, I had no idea I moved my family to such a dangerous place. Like, what is up with Iowa? I mean, everything went wrong. And I had to get to a point where I repented and said, God, I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? And my question tonight is, will you trust God when you can't track him? I really do love this young lady over here. But that freshman class, up until that freshman class, for 10 years, we've been declining. And Denny came in with a great group of freshmen. They were so large, our concern was, because we didn't know this freshman class, is this freshman class going to change what we're doing at Faith? And this group came in and they loved God and they enhanced what we were doing. They started a a Bible study on their own that went met once a week all year long. We came to Refresh Conference, a time that, and by the way, let me just put a plug in for Refresh. Your pastor and wife, they don't have to come to Refresh. You need to make sure they go away somewhere. I don't know who the deacons are, but when a pastor and his wife pour out all the time, you need to make sure they get a break. And we we do a thing called Refresh. I mean, find out where they want to go. (laughs) Coming to... Two hours away in the middle of winter may not be their idea of a great break, all right? But I need help to do that. And I tell our college students, I'm not going to make you do this. I said, if you want to help, I only want you to help if you want to help. I said, I don't want you to have any pressure. I don't even feel bad. So they're all busy. They're all working. They have, they're all, I mean, remember if you went to college, it's a crazy hard time in your life. You're crazy busy. And I said, guys, I, I would just, if you can help me, I'd like help. And so we said, I'll meet you at 9 o'clock for those that can meet with me. I walked in that room with my secretary, and there was 110 college students in there. My secretary says, we don't need this much help. I said, well, we do now. And we made up a job for every one of them. And they served unbelievably. Pastors and their wives just were so moved by the way our students served. And then our students came and thanked me and said, hey, we want to be like these people. Thanks for letting us serve. I'm like, what a great place. I mean, God's doing some wonderful things at Faith. It was revival-like on our campus last year. And when everything was going wrong, you know God was still doing something great. When this flood hit, my dad had a phrase. He was in construction. I worked for my dad growing up. And if if everything went wrong, my dad would say, I needed that like I needed a hole in the head. I had not thought of that in like 20 years till I got the call on the flood. <laughs> and you know what? It's so weird. The first thing that popped in my head, I need that like I need a hole in the head. Like, God, I don't, we don't need that. Like, how are we going to get this done? I don't have time tonight to tell you the amazing stories of what God did to get our campus back. My first chapel message when the students get back is to challenge them. 
not to waste what everyone has invested in them. People gave up vacation and money, not for me or for faith. They did it for our students. I'm going to challenge our students. Don't take that for granted. But what happens when you're trying hard as much as you know you're right with God and everything goes wrong? Well, that's exactly where Ruth is. Or Naomi, I'm sorry. When we finished chapter 1, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Chapter 2, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said, There go, my daughter. In this culture, excuse me, in this culture, if you're a good man, you purposely left grain behind in your field to take care of the poor. Boaz is a good man. So he had purposely left food behind to take care of the poor. These are two widows. Ruth is a widow. Naomi's a widow. And these two widows, they don't have a support system. And so Ruth says, we're going to starve if I don't go get some work. And she says, absolutely, go, go and get, see what you can do. Who is not from these parts? That's important to remember this. Ruth is not from these parts. Remember, she's not from, who grew up here? Naomi grew up here. So Naomi knows this area. She knows the system. Ruth knows nothing except we're starving. I got to go find some food. So verse 2, so Ruth the Moabite said to him, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. And she left and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. By the way, how many of you think that's lucky? By the way, how many of you think when we finish chapter 1 and it says they arrived at the beginning of barley harvest? Is that important to the story? This whole story changes if it's not at the beginning of barley harvest. And if you back up two verses before that, what does Naomi say about God? There's no plan. He's dealt bitterly with me. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. God isn't good. But she arrives at the beginning of barley harvest. And Ruth happens to land on Boaz's field. And then we see in verse 4, Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, And the Lord bless you. And Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? What if he'd come an hour earlier, an hour later? How many of you think that's lucky? This is a pretty amazing series of events. Now my wife and I have a different take on this. But my take, when he says, Whose young woman is this? Is that he thought she was attractive. I think it was sort of like, Hey, who's the chick over there? I haven't seen her around. I'm like, oh, she's from Moab. She just came back. I, I, I just Now, my wife says, you can't prove that in Scripture. My wife is right. But he took care of this girl, which you just typically wouldn't do for anybody, right? I think he was like, whoa. <laughs> she has the three. Well, he only knew of one at that point. Probably she was gorgeous, right? Found out later she was a gourmet cook and godly. But anyway, as he's working with her. He brings her over and he says, listen, I don't want you to go to anyone else's field. You stay in my field. You can eat with my men. You can drink. And my, I've told my men not to lay a hand on you. In fact, my men will protect you. You don't go anywhere else. You stay here. Wherever you see my guys working, that's where I want you to work. And he loads her up. Remember, this is, she's not from these parts. And this is her first day on the job. And you know what she thinks? Iowa nice. These people in Bethlehem are so nice. I mean, look at this. She comes home with way too much. Now, who knows it's way too much? Who's the lady who grew up here? So Naomi knows it's way too much. If she'd come home with a normal amount, she might not have even questioned her. 
But because she comes in with way too much, Naomi says, somebody noticed you. Where were you? Let's skip down to verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening, beat out the wheat she'd gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went to the city, and her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned, so she brought it out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and she said, Well, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz, which means how much to Ruth at this point? Nothing. She's, she's not from these parts. I just... Just was that a really nice guy? He's just really nice. Who does know who Boaz is? <laughs> Naomi. Is Boaz a pretty important person in this family dynamic? He's a kinsman redeemer. He's not the first in line, but he's second in line for kinsman redeemer. He's also single and he's also rich. And Naomi knows this. Ruth has no clue. So she comes home with way too much. And she says, well, the guy's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. Isn't that a weird statement? What did she say in chapter 1 about God? He's bad. He doesn't care about us. There's no plan. And, I mean, you'd actually think it should say, blessed be Boaz, right? Where'd you get all this food from? Oh, a guy named Boaz. Well, praise God for Boaz. No, what does she say? Oh, there's a plan. Because I know who Boaz is. And I, you have to read this into the text. I'm not sure. But I don't think it was just a conversation like we just had. I think she comes home with way too much. And she says, well, where would you work today? And she goes, well, it was some guy named Boaz. I think Naomi's like, Boaz? Are you sure? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. How do you know? Well, I, I, I talked to him. You talked to him? You actually met him? Yeah, I met him. How do you know? He said his name was Boaz. <laughs> do you know who Boaz is? No, I don't know who Boaz is. He's our kinsman redeemer. He's single and he's rich. And all of a sudden I think her, the eyes came on for Ruth. Now we're going to skip the whole dating thing because it's not faith approved, all right? So don't go sleep on a guy's feet in the middle of the night. And uh, it worked for Ruth. He wakes up in the middle of the night. There's this girl at his feet. And he's like, whoa, you know, hey, I'm not, I want to marry you. But get out. I don't want anyone to know you're here. So, you know, just stay quiet. But get out before the sun comes up and I'll, I'll work this out. And she comes home to Naomi, and Naomi knows men. And Naomi's like, oh, he's going to take care of this. He, he wants to marry you. And so he goes in, he, and we're going to skip all of this for sake of time, but he deals with the guy. He becomes the kinsman redeemer. He marries Ruth. Do you know why God put the book of Ruth in your Bible? It's the last four verses. Take your Bible and go to the end, and we'll finish. Verse 17, also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, there's a son born to Naomi, and he called his name Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. Which David is this? This is King David. Now this is the gene- genealogy of Perez. Perez, we got Hezron, Hezron, we got Ram, Ram, we got Aminadab, Aminadab, we got Nishon, Nishon, we got Salmon, Salmon, we got Boaz, Boaz, we got Obed, Obed, we got Jesse, Jesse, we got David. So if this is King David, which it is, then this is also going to be in the lineage of who? Jesus Christ. Is that important for every Christian in this room? Is that an amazing plan? There's a few things I want to see a rerun when I get to heaven. One is the day. I, I mean, I just, this is just how I picture it. I mean, here's Naomi. She's up in heaven. The genealogies are rolling by. And it gets to Mary and Joseph. I don't you think she's in heaven? You've got to be kidding me. We're in the lineage of the Savior of the world. We're in the lineage of Jesus Christ. That's why Elimelech died. That's why Malon and Chilean died. You're kidding me. We're, we're in the lineage of Jesus Christ? What an amazing 
plan. By the way, do you believe tonight that God has a good plan for your life all the time? I do. You realize tonight God is great at being good? And God is good how often? God loves you how often? All the time. But let me challenge you. Are you at all like me? By the way, did Job struggle? Chapter 23, Job's had enough. He demands, and I need to talk to God. I need an explanation. You know God never gives him an explanation? God says, let me ask you 64 questions, and if you can answer them, then I'll I'll give you an explanation. Question number one, how's the world hanging in space? (laughs) Job's like, that's a good one. (laughs) I, I don't know that one. And God says in question number two, and I love how it says it in the New King James. God says, who has, who has measured the span of the universe? Surely you know. I think that's God being sarcastic. And Job's going, I, I don't know that one either. And you know what Job says? How come no two snowflakes are the same? Where does the wind come from? The, the quiz finishes and Job's flunked. He doesn't know the answer to any, six, any of those 64 questions. And God says, Job, this is number 65. But you know what that happened? As Job started thinking about God creating the universe, God measuring the span, God creating no two snowflakes the same, you know what happened to Job? He got in awe of God. And Job came to understand, I don't need an explanation, I needed a revelation. And as I get to see how awesome my God is, I'm good. And you can be God and I can be Job. God, when God comes on to talk to him in chapter 38 and chapter 40, God says twice, I will question you and you will answer me. God says it doesn't work the other way around. I don't answer to you. You answer to me. And you are going to live by faith tonight or you're going to live in frustration. You're going to trust God when you can't figure it out or you're going to get frustrated and do something stupid. Like hitting a rock. Like having the handmaiden. Like getting mad at God. (laughs) You know, when I think about this, My sister was a Christian. You know where she is tonight? She's in heaven. You know, if she got a vote, she would not come back here. So I'm going to really be mad at the God who's taking care of my sister. Do you see how weird that is? But we get that way when we can't figure things out. And God says, hey, Jim, I'm working out a good plan. I'm going to turn things around at faith. We had six students get saved last last year. Uh, One of them was our soccer goalie. And she got up and told the entire college. I just want everyone to know I trusted Christ. And that's awesome, isn't it? If I had bailed out, if I had packed my bags and went back to Canada, I'd have missed what I'm seeing now. I don't want to go through a flood, but boy, what I've seen God do through the flood has been unbelievable. Doc goes, right, I want to change my circumstances. And God said, no, Jim, I want to change your character. I'll close with Joseph. Remember Joseph? Sold into slavery by his brothers. Everything goes wrong. He's 30 years of age when he becomes second in command. We know that from Scripture. So most people believe that he's had about 14 years. Everything's gone wrong. Sold into slavery. Framed by Potiphar's wife. Tells two guys a dream. And he says, when you guys get out, get well to the one guy. Because the other guy, you're going to die. You're not too helpful. (laughs) The one guy is going to live. He says, get me out of here. And does that guy remember him? He gets out, totally forgets about him until Pharaoh has a dream. And he's like, oh, man. It's a guy in prison. He's really good with dreams. They bring Joseph out. He says, here, you have seven good ears of corn, seven puny ears. You have seven good years. 
Seven years of famine. Seven healthy cows, seven puny cows. You better prepare. And Pharaoh says, there's no one more wise than you. You're in charge of everything. Who starves to death if Joseph isn't second in command? You know why Joseph didn't stand with Potiphar's wife? There's no accountability. There's no church. There's no, no one would have ever known. You know what Joseph says? How can I sin and do this against my God? Man, everything's gone wrong in Joseph's life, and who is he still trusting? Did Joseph understand? Did Joseph know the plan? Do you think Joseph knew at that moment, I, I know how this is going to work out. I'm going to get thrown in prison for seven years. I'm going to tell two guys a dream. And man, this is, I'm, this is so exciting. Man, this is going to be a riot. What a, what a, what a, what a blast this is going to be. No, he didn't know any of that, did he? And yet he still does right. He still trusts God when it doesn't make sense. Brothers come down. He recognizes them. They don't recognize him. He says, don't come back unless you bring my younger brother. They run out of food a second time. And dad says, you got to go back. They said, we can't go back. We go back without our younger brother. We're all going to get thrown in prison. And dad says, we're going to starve to death, guys. We don't have an option. You have to go to Egypt and get food for us. By the way, that, those people are getting me in the lineage of who? Jesus Christ. What a great plan. Would you trust God for 14 years when everything goes wrong? He reveals himself. Pharaoh says, go get your family. They move down. And then dad dies. And the brothers are convinced. Now that dad's dead, it's payback time. And they come into Joseph and they said, hey, Joseph, we just read the will. We ran it by two attorneys and they agree. God, dad was so clear in paragraph one, don't kill us. <laughs> and that's when Joseph says, boys, you meant it for evil. But what? God meant it for good. Will you trust God tonight when you can't track him? And I just want to close again by saying thank you so much for your help. It really meant a lot to our campus, and we are very, very thankful. Let's close tonight. I'll turn over to Pastor. Dearly Father, I thank you for the opportunity we had to open your word. God, I thank you for the investment this church made into our campus and helping us get ready for our students. And God, it's our desire tonight to trust you when we can't track you, to be men and women of faith. God, that when we don't understand what's going on or why things aren't working out the way we wanted them to, that we would continue to trust you. God, we do love you tonight. We thank you for how good you've been to us. And Lord, theologically, we know the right answers, but when it gets personal, like so many of these great men and women of Scripture, we find ourselves struggling as well. God, may this be a great encouragement and reminder to all of us to trust you when we can't figure it out. 